to Oh My Heck, the podcast where I make fun of myself for believing some pretty goofy stuff and try to throw back the curtain to show you the man running Oz, also known as the Mormon Church. Now this week, we're talking about sex. And if you know that song, it's hilarious how she can be, you know, all sorts of objects for his desire, but he just repeats, I'm a man, with like more and more dogged determination. Um, he thinks he doth protest too much, but oh, note for you guys, I am keeping the PG rating, but I am talking about sex and using, you know, medical terminology for the body and various acts and possibly an overdose of euphemism. So, you know, use caution in the word workplace or, you know, what have you. Something you need to know up front is that Mormons are obsessed with sex, obsessed. Oh, you think they're all good and square-jawed and pure? Well, I mean, they are. And they are constantly thinking about or worrying about or judging others about sex. Okay, is that going to get old? Sorry. A question for you, the listening audience. And I'd love to hear your feedback on my website, which is laura-stone.com. Or, you know, hit me on Twitter, which is also linked on my website. If you grew up in the States... Or, uh, say, Western civilization. Um, Did you guys talk about sex in Sunday school? Like, you know, detailing what is acceptable and what isn't? Like, down to very specific acts? Dry humping? Okay, I I guess I'm asking, like, if your Sunday school teachers outlined how dry humping is a sin. And soul kissing is. Um, And bare shoulders. Oh, well, you know, just on girls. Or turning on your factory by masturbating is a grievous sin. No? Okay, well, that is how I grew up. And so did all of my cousins and all of my Mormon friends. Now, my parents gave me, you know, the basic sex talk when I was 12. And my dad actually used my mom's Relief Society easel and felt board. So he gets bonus points for attention to clinical detail with, you know, cutout pages from some medical book that he'd found. And uh, my dad's just so dear. Anyway, so because of this, I knew that my uh, menstruation bits were about to be switched to the own position. However, it was the church's job to tell me what to do with them. More importantly, what not to do with them. You know, it's pretty straightforward. And again, um, I'm using the cis binary language that the church prefers. Lady bits are to be in cold storage until the wedding reception is over, and then the factory should begin immediate production. Like, there shouldn't even be a foreman strolling on the grounds of the factory until the front door's key has been handed over to the CBM, you know, chief baby maker, who is, of course, supposed to be my husband and priesthood holder. Now, one memorable lesson from Sunday school, because, you know, this was taught on Sunday in young women's class, and that's like a, that's a gendered Sunday school class that all female identified youth are expected to attend um, after our general Sunday school class and also after sacrament meeting because Mormon church is three flipping hours long every single Sunday. Sorry, there was a lot of time devoted to this stuff. This particular lesson I'm going to share with you was taught mm, three, at least three times a year. And this particular lesson featured our teacher pulling out a box of cupcakes. They're all frosted and just scrumptious looking. Now, there was enough for each of us in the class to have exactly 
one. But before she passed them out, she took one, licked the top, and put it back in the box, and then passed it around. Well, naturally, no one took the licked cupcake. So that means that one girl was left out of the deliciousness. Okay, now if that wasn't clear enough, you know, big giant anvil dropping, your virtue, your chastity, your worth and value is a frosted cupcake. And no one will want you if you let them lick you, metaphorically and literally. Uh, that's all right. But I thought to myself, I really like frosting. You know, I sat there in my shin-length floral dress with a Peter Pan collar and wondered, you know, what did it mean that I, you know, sitting there filled with naive but yet very real concupiscence, took my cupcake before I understood it was an object lesson and languidly dragged my tongue through the crests and the valleys of delicious, sweet frosting. You know, what did that say about me as I sat in my chair, my mouth filling with its sweet, sweet nectar? Well, probably that it was fast Sunday and I was starving. But let's, mm, let's not look too closely there just now. Unless you're Haley Atwell and you're into it. In which case, call me. There were lessons where a vase of you know, perfect white roses were put before us. And, you know, one was passed around among the girls. And we were encouraged to touch the velvety petals, to pinch them a little. You know, some people like that sort of thing. And breathe in deep their intoxicating, delicate aroma. Now, by the end of class, the rose was wilted, you know, just bruised and completely unappealing. You know, just like a slutty high school student would be. And really, honestly, there isn't anyone in history who wanted a teenage girl once they knew that she had been touched or passed around. You know, sullied in the biblical sense. That has never, ever happened. So thus ended the lesson. Uh, well, not quite. Because another lesson consisted of the teacher offering us a piece of gum. And we could have either, you know, an untouched, unwrapped stick straight from the package, or the chewed up and spit-covered glob now in her hand. Even more to the point was the lesson where a plank of wood, unmarked, was brought in and nails were hammered into it. I mean, oh, you can pull the nail out and slowly, and then maybe really fast, and then when you hammer it back in, go in at a different angle. Oh, yeah. Oh. I'm sorry, sorry, I got off track. The problem, there's always gonna be a hole left in the wood, right? And no one would buy a piece of wood with a hole in it. No one. All of these very subtle lessons were actually trying to teach me how disgusting I would be to the Lord and to my potential husband if I let a boy put his hand on my boob over my sweater. And not even side boob is okay, guys. Sorry. So if I wore flashy clothes, you know, like where my shoulders are exposed or my quadriceps, um, if I wore too many earrings and only one in each ear or what is allowed, or if I talked dirty, I would be no better 
than a nasty old piece of chewed up and spit out gum. My body is a temple and no one will have entrance. I mean, I don't care if you're from Orem, Ogden, or Oregon. If you were a young woman who was Mormon, you had one of those lessons, if not all of them. Now, one of the hard-nosed leaders of the church, Spencer W. Kimball, he talked about sex all the damn time. He harped on the youth constantly to tell us to avoid even thinking of sex until we were married. Well, uh, good luck with that. You know, if they could charge you for every moment that you felt shame as a youth for thinking just the mildest of dirty thoughts, they'd be even richer than they are now. Now, every good Mormon has a copy of his book, The Miracle of Forgiveness, in their library, which you might remember me talking about in the previous episode, number seven. And again, the title is hilarious because everything is a damn sin to this guy. So yeah, I guess it's pretty miraculous if you can be forgiven for any of the many, many sins. But there is nothing, save murder, as abominable as fornication. No, really. It's the first chapter of chapter five, first paragraph, excuse me. So you embezzle millions from a nursing home, forcing the elderly to become homeless? Well, did you let anyone touch your hoo-hoo dilly while you were embezzling your life savings? Because if you did, we're talking some serious ramifications here. You might even be kicked out of the church. Oh, so no holding of the hoo-hoo? Oh, okay then. You little... Don't forget to pay your tithing, pray for forgiveness, and we'll see you on Sunday. <laughs> I mean, I get that sex is a taboo in most religions. I mean, believe me, when I find the mainstream religion that's gung-ho about doing the dirty, I'll make sure we all know. You know, but most of the Bible Belt religions view sex in a manner best, you know, described by like Piper Laurie in the movie Carrie. I can see your dirty pillows. Go to your closet and pray and ask to be forgiven. So in the Mormon church, it becomes trickier. Well, first of all, the curse of Eve, you know, menstruation, doesn't exist because it's believed that Adam had to fall in order for Adam and Eve to obey the second commandment, which loosely translated from the original Sanskrit is, get that woman with child and fast. And on the behalf of Eve, fellas, not too fast. Okay, women basically aren't considered harlots seeking to destroy man's um, inner goodness. Well, not at first. First, women are dainty, precious little gifts, clean as the driven snow, pure as the water from a new spring, untouched flowers, just waiting to be told it's okay to bloom. Now, go to second base with that treasure, and she quickly becomes the carpet in a movie theater after a midnight showing of Rocky Horror. Not to forget the fellas in all of this, because they also had the licked cupcake lesson, because no guy wants a cupcake that's been licked. Oh, the girls were the cupcakes there, there too. Like, not once did it occur to any of the teachers to offer mm, a hot dog, drop one on the ground, and ask who wanted that. Because you know what? I'll be real. I've been to plenty of cookouts, and we have all dropped hot dogs, you know, in the ashes. You knocked the dirt off, and you ate it anyway. Was that too subtle? I mean, it's no hammering a pristine block of wood, true, but still. 
So women are to protect their virtue by covering up and hiding. And men are told to control themselves or end up with a woman with whom they couldn't control themselves. But back to Fair Factor with Spencer W. Don't let the boys touch your gift, Kimball. So sex is tantamount to murder. And golly, do the leaders hate oh, that they have to harp on this. But their hands are tied. Oh, don't do that either. I mean, it would be a disservice if they didn't routinely teach the youth that sexy thoughts, sexy desires, sexy acts, sexy clothes, sexy music, sexy pictures, and sexy sex were about as evil as it gets. I mean, it's unclean, filthy, ungodly. It's abominable. Now, one story about Kimball that everyone loved to bring up in these lessons revolved around how moral President Kimball was. So he took a stroll along a beach in Brazil for some reason. And some girls from Ipanema were walking. And when they passed this chase man, he only said, Hello. Now, some of the brethren allegedly asked him if it wasn't distracting, all of those scantily bikini-bottomed and topless women on the beach. And really, what the hell was he doing on a beach in Brazil? The man was like 106 and he slept in a three-piece suit. So the story goes that President Kimball looked at them with a benevolent countenance and said he didn't even notice that they were in bathing suits. Wait, so he was imagining them completely naked? Oh, oh, no, no. It's supposed to mean that he just saw their sweet faces because he's so moral. He's above being turned on by chicks and their thong, the thong, thong, thongs. And then in the same breath, they'd teach us the parable of the donkeys and how close to the edge of a treacherous road they could get and how many donkeys were lost. Quick summation of the parable of the donkeys. Treacherous mountain road. Donkeys loaded up with packages and goods. And people like to see how close to the edge that they could get for, uh, who the the hell knows why? Money, I assume. But danger. And why? So the smart man was the man who took the inside curve and avoided the edge of danger. Well, obviously. And also, way to drive your donkey on the wrong side of the road. Like, that's moral, you lawbreaker. So how is walking on a naughty beach in Brazil going on the ins... I don't know. Okay. But look, one does not simply walk into moral. Its white gates are guarded by far more than just sacred panties. It's guarded with your very life. Because, you see, we girls were told repeatedly that it would be better for us to die than lose our virtue. This is a quote. There is no true Latter-day Saint who would not rather bury a son or daughter than have him or her lose his or her chastity, realizing that chastity is of more value than anything else in all the world. The Miracle of Forgiveness, Chapter 5, Page 35. Or a quote from Gordon B. Hinckley, the prophet of the church in the 1990s, who said, I know what my mother expects. I know she sang in her what she sang in her prayers. 
she'd rather have me come home dead than unclean. Nice. And interesting to note that if you go right this minute to LDS.org, the official church website, it says very clearly, the Lord's standard regarding sexual purity is clear and unchanging. Unchanging. Better to come home dead than unclean. Hey, so I want to talk about Elizabeth Smart for a minute. You remember Elizabeth Smart, the pretty little blonde-haired 14-year-old girl who played the harp and who was kidnapped by a polygamous goon and his horrible wife and kept her hidden in the mountains for about nine months where he uh, made her his wife in every disgusting sense of the word? Oh, so gross, so gross. So her parents, you know, they probably stoned her instead of, you know, taking her back, right? I mean, it says the Lord's standard regarding sexual purity is clear and unchanging. Chastity is of more value than anything else in all the world, after all. That's from the prophet's mouth, and he's the spokesman of the Lord. Now, you and I are intelligent and emotional beings equipped with empathy. And obviously, obviously, sexual assault isn't Elizabeth Smart's fault or anyone who has been assaulted. That has no bearing on a person's virtue, goodness, value, or worth. But Elizabeth Smart assumed she'd lost her virtue. Kidnapped, assaulted for months, and she took the burden on herself. 14. Now she has spoken countless times about that chewed up gum lesson and how she fully believed that that was her. It's taken her years to come to terms with her own sense of worth. Those are her own words from multiple speeches she's given. And I remember being told that I should kill myself to avoid being raped. She'd rather have me come home dead than unclean. Just F you. Piss off with that horrible, hateful, evil mindset. So because I knew that I was a special flower who must remain untouched or I'd wither, bruise, and die, I knew all about keeping my body untouched and unsullied by boys. But, you know, when I became a teen, I mean, I wanted them to touch me like my hand or something. I was still a totally innocent virgin who didn't understand how the pieces fit. My frustrated high school boyfriends can attest to this. You know, and I fretted over just wanting that was a sin because I was taught that your thoughts carry as much weight as your deeds. Now, my darling father fortunately did not subscribe to the idea about thoughts being equal to action. So he did his best to keep me from freaking out all the dang time. And he taught me that humans are made to think and figure things out on their own. You stumble a few times, you clean yourself off, and you try again. So he explained to me that the sins of youth, they're about passion. Teenagers are hardwired to screw up. You know, there's not much that can be done about it, but try and not screw up too badly. Learn from it and try harder next time. That's a good lesson. Now, one of my cousins came to visit us from Salt Lake, and he was the cousin I was the most close to. We were just two weeks apart, and he was my Star Wars buddy. Um, I, I adored him. We stayed up late one night, 
and we were watching uh, these old episodes of Saturday Night Live. Now, this one particular sketch came on, and it's where Dan Aykroyd plays like a pimp with Lorraine Newman um, as like a spandex-wearing, you know, chick who's with him. And the premise is that these two unlikely art aficionados are discussing various Renaissance paintings, but in like this totally base and sleazy way. And it's hilarious. One of my all-time favorite skits. Now, Dan Aykroyd shows this famous painting by Titian, yet he pronounces it, I swear to God, Titian. He then snickers and like points directly to the subject's nipple and he's like tapping it and asks if the audience knows what it is while Lorraine Newman is cracking up. And the whole skit is summed up with him saying, Tedian, he painted a good looking picture of a broad on a couch. Now I am laughing my butt off and I look over for my cousin to see that he, if he's laughing too, but he's suddenly not there. So I go walk through the house to find him in the living room with his scriptures out and he's praying fervently. So he was so upset that he had had lustful feelings towards a classic painting of a woman. And he was praying for God to give him the strength to cleanse his sinful, dirty thoughts. We were 16. He was 16 and disgusted that he'd been thinking of boobs. I predicted a lot of praying in his future. Now, I moved to Utah after high school, and I attended a college that was predominantly Mormon. And where I had been taught the birds and bees by my parents when I was 12, a lot of the girls, not an outlier or two, but the majority of girls in my college dormitory didn't even know the rudimentary mechanics of sex, let alone had experienced as much as a goodnight kiss or had had their hand held. College. This is college. Now, a lot of people in Utah, BYU in particular, save their first kiss for the altar at their wedding. <sighs> Boy, that's some faith right there. So most parents had held off on the sex talks out of fear that if they know how, they'll do it. Look, I know how to do calculus, but I'm not like secretively and furtively solving derivatives in the dark. Come on. Okay, there was this one girl in particular who just... It makes me so sad how utterly naive she was. I'm going to call her Emmeline. Um, she was this tall blonde girl with ruddy cheeks and a super sweet smile, and she knew nothing of the world. There was a class at our college that was notorious for being an easy A, and it was called Family Life. Uh, like Think of like home ec. Now, Emmeline and my dormitory roommate were in this class together. And I'm fairly certain that Emmeline signed up because she wanted to reinforce her baby tending skills, you know, hoping that that would be the focus. And the teacher discussed things such as birth order, family management, and yes, sex. And that was a high attendance week. Now, there were handouts during the sex talk week, such as um, STDs in a monogamous relationship and oral sex. Is it right or wrong? Oh, by the way, the church says wrong even though Joseph Smith was all for anything and everything sexual with your wife's constant and unchanging. Hmm. More handouts in this class were like how to allow yourself pleasure without sacrificing your partners. It was a grown past sixth grade, you know, you're changing body in you type curriculum. Now remember, this is college. Now the first time the teacher used the word cunnilingus. Emmeline dropped her red face down onto her desk, hiding behind her arms. 
And as the topic progressed into talks about the G-spot, she climbed under the desk and began sobbing. This is a true story. Now, the professor became incredibly concerned, tried to draw her out, asking what was making her so upset, you know, not realizing that this young, sheltered, and devout girl of 19 would never be able to publicly answer questions about sex, let alone listen to others discuss it. And we can even go into a side topic of, that was kind of inappropriate, dude. You don't know what kind of things she's gone through in her life. But Emmeline finally grabbed her things and fled the class and never went back. Now, here's where it gets... Okay. So about a month after the class incident, she began dating this nice guy. Now, he was this sweet boy who grew up on a farm in a small Utah town. And I can't remember, but I think it was like Sandequin or Spanish Fork. And just like a real small, tiny, close-knit town. Um, and he was studying uh, agriculture business management. He was a farm kid. Now, he had recently returned from his two-year mission and was still glowing with having completed a service for the Lord. Just this good, good kid. So they were engaged two weeks after their first date and married three weeks after that. Uh, this is totally normal in Utah, by the way. Now, the girls in the dorm threw her an impromptu bridal shower. Now, the other girls brought her cleaning supplies and cooking utensils. Not a single silky nightgown or anything of the like was given by them. Of course, I was the totally immoral jerk from out of state who got her a knee-length shimmis from Walmart. Like, I thought she was some kind of godless hooker, Laura. Like, no one there even thought of that as a gift. For a bridal shower. Now, the day of her wedding arrived, and she left school for a week to go on a honeymoon. And their plans were to move into the married couple dormitory afterwards. So my roommate met up with her shortly after and heard the sordid details of a marriage bed gone horribly, horribly wrong. Now, after the temple ceremony and their first kiss, they left for the honeymoon suite. And I think it was like a red roof inn, you know, nothing fancy. And there's nothing wrong with that. When the groom attempted to consummate the marriage, she became horrified and called him you know, filthy and disgusting. And then she called her mother and asked her to come get her and said that her new husband was filled with Satan. And she also asked for her father to come so he could lay hands on him and give him a blessing to cast the devils out so that this young man could be the righteous boy she thought she was marrying. I mean, she truly had no idea at all about sex and her own body's sexual inclinations, let alone what happened to a man when aroused. And her mother evidently told her that, yes, men wanted to do sick things to women, but it was to be endured for the sake of having children and one day being exalted in the God's kingdom. Do you see what not watching rated R movies has gotten them? If only she'd seen Carrie, she would have known that they weren't dirty pillows, but breasts, mama. Oh, I love me some sissy spacing. <laughs> okay, while I lived in Utah, I also heard about parents who consulted with their children before having unprotected sex. Everyone could agree on whether or not to bring a new child into the family. Well, I mean, after all, that affected them all as a family unit, right? 
This idea also exists in the Mormon musical Saturday's Warrior, a hyperbolic pastel fest that features a jazzy number about how evil birth control is. And no, I'm not making that up. And raise your hand if you want to be clued in on your parents doing the horizontal tango to completion. And I sure hope you didn't raise your hand. And if you did, you're in timeout. Go sit in the corner. My Mormon friends were mostly hardcore, true blue Mormons. And the older I got, the more I learned how sex was dealt with in that it wasn't. So I get wanting to strive for perfection in everything, in thoughts, in words, and deeds. I mean, I was raised Mormon too. But let's face it, your body wants you to bone a lot. And with these people, controlling your very biology is considered godly. And it's expected of you. They believe that perfection is expected. No less is acceptable. Do or do not. There is no try. Now, in 1970s, there was a handout for young men written by Mark E. Peterson, who is a member of the Twelve Apostles of the Church, um, and it instructs boys, and in particular missionaries, who cannot help but stimulate themselves while sleeping, that they should consider tying their hands to the bedpost with their belts to ensure their purity. And welcome to Crazy Town. Next stop, never. There are videos of mission presidents all around the world berating elders for the sick sin of self-abuse. Oh, oh, but even better is this amazingly high-quality video produced by BYU-Idaho that compares masturbators to wounded soldiers in the great battle of souls. No, really, I highly recommend it. It's like saving Ryan's privates. The Battle of the Throbbing Bulge, the Thin Red Vein, Full Latex Jacket, the Hurt Locker. Hey, look, they're not being taught how to avoid chafing, and it's important, medically speaking. I literally mean this short film about not fapping is shot like a war movie. Wounded soldiers gasping in pain as they try to hold it in as shots fire all around them. Oh, it's just, mwah. Okay, so the pamphlet from Mark Peterson, For Young Men Only, it's called. It's all presented like you need to be cured of wanting to stroke the monkey. You need a cure. Okay, so this is from the pamphlet, A Guide to Self-Control. Number one, never touch the intimate parts of your body except during normal toilet processes. Abnormal, you might need to see a doctor. Two, avoid being alone as much as possible. Find good company and stay in this good company. Three, if you are associated with other persons having this problem, you must break off their friendship. That's in caps. Never associate with other people having the same weakness. Don't suppose that the two of you will quit together. You never will. I mean, dear Lord, do they even hear how this sounds? Four, when you bathe, do not admire yourself in a mirror. Never stay in the bath more than five or six minutes. Just long enough to bathe and dry and dress and then get out of the bathroom. That's in caps. And into a room where you will have some other member of your family present. You know, with your boner. Five, 
when in bed, if that is where you have your problem for the most part, dress yourself for the night so securely that you cannot easily touch your vital parts and so that it would be difficult and time-consuming for you to remove those clothes. By the time you started to remove protective clothing, you would have sufficiently controlled your thinking that the temptation would leave you. Six, if the temptation seems overpowering while you are in bed, get out of bed and go into the kitchen and fix yourself a snack, all in caps, even if it's the middle of the night, and even if you're not hungry, and despite your fears of gaining weight. The purpose behind the suggestion is that you get your mind on something else. You are the subject of your thoughts. So if I may, if you have a mental condition like, say, diabetes, the church's stance here is pretty tough. Eat the donut with the maple glaze and leave the cream-filled long john alone. I am a terrible, terrible person, and there's a lot more of that on the way, and I don't know why you're listening to me. Okay, so it goes on to say, you know, avoid pornography, obviously, think wholesome thoughts, uh, read church materials and scripture, and of course, pray the stiffy away. And last but not least, don't even talk about it. I quote, keep the problem out of your mind by not mentioning it ever. Not in conversation with others, not in your prayers. Keep it out of your mind. Literally all in caps and bold. And also, they literally just said to pray for help. I guess you're supposed to pray generally for help. So further instructions are, and I'm not making this up, to yell stop to your penis when it becomes erect. Then go read something like How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie, a use I'm sure Carnegie didn't anticipate when he published that juggernaut. See, and now they're just creating guys with a self-help fetish. Boom! Pun totally intended, and uh, you're welcome. But oh my heck, I had no idea that a guy's penis was such a demanding, taking time bomb. Don't touch it. Don't look at it. Oh, good Lord, don't even think about it while you're cleaning it. It's like a hissing, spitting cobra down there. Okay, sure. Let's... Put this in perspective of other religions. You'll go blind, you'll grow hair on your palms, etc. But did those churches have mass mailers for the male youth, numbering in the hundreds of thousands? Or as part of religious study on Sunday? Did they tell missionaries to affix their hands to their beds with their belts? Ooh, kinky. To keep from accidentally touching themselves while they sleep? Okay, so the takeaway is that if you polish your knob, you could bring down God's entire plan. Boys are to be missionaries. They have to be pure to find converts. And if you're not pure, then you can't convert anyone and you're a failure. And if you failed God and your spirit brothers and sisters, leaving them to rot in hell, I mean, you just had to flog the dolphin, didn't you? Couldn't just get to know yourself without getting to know yourself. And don't forget that a host of angels are watching you, recording your every step, bucko. Now I want you to think about your angel, sitting on a cloud, having to endure you, coming to grips with yourself night after night, writing it down in exquisite purple prose, possibly turning the story of your nefarious deeds into a bestseller in heaven. Hey, side note, would there be anything 
but a bestseller in heaven? I've always assumed that if God is real, and if he made everything, then biology is a part of God's plan. He made us and our world, you know, if you buy into that theory. And so the natural urges of our body are from him as well. Now I understand the hidden messages of teaching abstinence, or at least in teaching caution with regard to sexual relations. I mean, there are health issues involved. But fundamentally, it's about controlling the birth rate with a religious twist. And to teach that sex is bad, okay, and for a teenage boy's natural desire to look at a partially naked body is of the devil, and that he personally will cause utter failure in God's ultimate plan for mankind, that just causes a total breakdown, and particularly when it comes to them getting married, like in Emmeline's case. Now think of it like this. How does a piece of paper suddenly change the message inside your head that you've had hammered in it for your whole life? How do you make the transition from, it's bad, it's bad, quit looking, it's bad, to chimes and bells and rice being thrown and later a sexy bass line and lights out? You need to know this stuff. You need to know it's normal and it's natural and when done right, pretty dang awesome to participate in. So in fact, I made a point in my upcoming novel, and it came to pass out on May 18th, to specifically address how this controlling and unhealthy obsession with sex causes real psychological damage in young men and women who are Mormon. And I left in, um, well, not truly explicit phrases and words, but it's clear that sexual relations are happening in my novel because what the heck are LGBTQ kids supposed to do? How the heck are they going to learn how their bodies behave? And more importantly, you know, what's possible in their romantic lives? Representation freaking matters. Now, I'm from the time of Judy Bloom, and we passed those books around the sixth grade like government secrets. Well, pre-45 administrative government secrets. So it's how I learned where the noses go when you kissed, and that once upon a time, maxi pads came in giant boxes with flipping safety pins and you know, other things. LGBTQ Mormon kids have bupkis. And on top of this whole shame spiral of sexual thought is a sin, they're taught that they themselves are sin incarnate. I just had an argument with a Mormon dad online this very week who fell into the stupid mindset of gay means sex and not a person. And that a person who was gay was a sin. That is disgusting, and that is unacceptable to me. I reject that as utter hatefulness. You're not a licked damn cupcake, period. Unless you're into that. And then you know what? Go on with your bad self, Miss Sprinkles. You do you. Look, it isn't naughty to be attracted to someone and wonder what they look like under their clothes. It's pretty dang normal. Nor is it an abomination if they turn out to be the same sex. It isn't sinful to be curious about that person's body. And God most definitely will not smite you down for relieving tension when thinking about said person and his or her sexuality. It's normal and healthy. Keep the pipes clean for optimum health, says I, and most medical professionals. So as far as I've been able to find in my extensive masturbation research, not one human has been struck down with lightning while doing the hand jive. And yes, 
that's what that song is about. However, there was a Thaddeus Jurge from Norway, 1482, who was found dead under a pile of stones, his lingonberry in hand. But that was because he was leaning against a crumbling wall while thinking of a particular milkmaid. This was the time before quality masonry, but during the time of male masturbation, for those historically minded. So fortunately, women just have to keep an aspirin between our denim skirt-covered knees. And if we don't, you know, we're only hurting ourselves by being slutty sluts who slut it up. Now, according to the church, if a guy puts a deposit in the spank bank, he could literally destroy a life and God's plan. I guess penises are pretty powerful after all. Thank goodness women don't masturbate. Thanks again for tuning in. You know, I'd love to hear from you. Go to laura-stone.com to leave comments or to follow my social media accounts. And be sure to add And It Came to Pass to your pre-orders on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or anywhere books are sold. And every time you reblog or leave a review, an angel gets its wings and a puppy gets a nose boot, so don't be a monster. Until next time.